What is death? I know, we want to get to what is life. (laughs) But if we know what death is, then maybe we can figure out life. Because isn't death simply the lack of life? So, if we know what death is, then we know what is missing. And what is missing would be life. Right? It's not at all helpful, is it? It doesn't get us anywhere. Part of the problem is that death and life are to us so intertwined. Another piece of the puzzle here is that there is more than one kind of life. And so more than one kind of death. So it's confusing. Everyday people, uh, the everyday life that all people live, the Apostle Paul told a group of philosophers, comes from God. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Centuries before that, the preacher, probably Solomon, said it in a more elegant way. For everything there is a season, and for every time, for every matter, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. This is a description of life on earth, right? It's what happens. And it can be great, but we need to remember that he is not saying people should choose to plant or pluck or embrace or not. He is saying that God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God sets the agenda. So you can see why he goes on to say, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. What's the point? (laughs) What are we doing You're born, you live, you die. You know, so what? What's the point? Fortunately, the preacher goes on. Of God, he says, he has made everything, all those things that there's time to do, beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet not so that he cannot, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There's more than just this life. As beautiful as it can be, as clueless as we are as to what it is and what's happening, still, he says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all this toil. This is God's gift to man. This life is important and we should enjoy it. 
But there is more than just this life to think about. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Let's set this for everything aside for the moment. Our first description of life and death is pretty straightforward. Right now, we are breathing in and we're breathing out. We're born, we plant, we seek. Sometimes we carefully manage our time. Sometimes we just have fun. We live life. And then it's over. One day, when we stop breathing, this life will be gone. We experience death. So, what is death? <laughs> because eternity is written into the heart of all humans, we are born knowing that there is more than just this life. We've often said here that it takes a lot of education to convince a person that this is it. When you stop breathing here, you're, you're nothing but worm food. Okay, It's all over. You have ceased to exist. It takes a lot of education to convince somebody of that. But if you were here, you probably heard those arguments and rejected them, or at least are considering rejecting them. There is something beyond this life, some other spiritual dimension. So, when we're talking this life, what is death? What happens when we stop breathing? Okay, let's start at the beginning. In the age, sometimes called the dispensation of innocence, there was nothing but life. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he informed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It appears that the tree of life was available for the man, Adam, at any time. Keep eating it and he'd never die. And then there's that other tree. The one that's almost nonchalantly mentioned. Did you catch that? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It, it doesn't sound that bad. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. How does a man who has known nothing but life know what death is? I, he, I, he surely knew less than we know. I know, oh, that we knew less. Yeah. Satan tempted the innocent woman told her lies, you know, mixed with a little truth. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate and the eyes of both were opened. Shortly thereafter, God confronts them and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. All the days of your life. Whatever, what happened to eat the tree of life and never die? What happened? 
By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. To dust you shall return. Our bodies are made of the dust, the dirt, the soil of the earth, right? Death in this life means the decay of our bodies. God drove the man and the woman away from the tree of life so that they would not stay in the state in which they now were, a state where some sort of death had already occurred. In order to understand what death is as related to life, we must deal with two competing thoughts. One, eternity is in our hearts. We know there is something beyond this life. Two, our bodies return to the dust. Well, okay, Moses is in the Middle East. It's desert over there. Everything turns to dust. Our physical nature, we're saying, decays until it becomes a part of the environment again. Okay? So life on this earth is where we do all these things Solomon said God set out for us. Death is when we can't do them anymore. When we are separated from interaction with this world. Death is the separation of that which is now temporary, our bodies. And that which we know in our hearts will go on to eternity, our souls. This is not what we were meant to be disembodied souls without interaction in the physical world. That's not what we're supposed to be. It is death. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So that's it? Death is the end? No. If, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. It's all through Scripture. In the path of righteousness is life. In its, and in its pathway there is no death. No death? Oh, wait a minute. Everybody dies. What's he talking about? There must be another kind of death. It is appointed for man to die once. And after that, comes the judgment. Wait a minute. This sounds worse than death. Worse than returning to the dust. Yeah, it does. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Life, we can see. People are alive. We are alive. Death, uh, we are not strangers to. We will certainly experience it. 
probably. Hold on. But good and evil, these you can't really see. One can be righteous or not, but we can only see its effects. Good and evil address something beyond the physical. The metaphysical. The spiritual. That which is eternal. So, if it's eternal, there's no death, right? (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) That's incorrect. There is death. But, you might very wisely ask, if our spirits last forever... How is it that they die? Isn't death the end of something? That idea is really hard to let go of, that death is the end of something. Well, because it's grounded in some truth. There is some truth to that. Let's, let's go back to our physical bodies. Do you remember when God created the Garden of Eden for humans to live in? Well, of course, he also created the humans. Okay, he created the first one from whom all the others would come. When Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Look at the order. He created the body. Then he breathed the breath of life into that body. Uh, don't misunderstand. The body isn't just a shell in which we live. God formed the man of the dust of the ground. We are our bodies. But our bodies do not define our life. The death of our bodies is the end of those bodies. But that doesn't mean an end of the life that is you, that is me. But it does mean an abhorrent tearing separation of our spirits from our bodies. Our lives were formed in our bodies. A life torn from the body is a nature torn in two. But there's good news. For all those who are God's children, He will make a new body to go into a new creation and we will once again be united body and soul. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Paul goes on to say, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And all who have died believing will be raised from the dead. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they have? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So, when God gives us a new body, well, when God gives a new body to a child of his who had died, it will be his design. It will be related to the body that each of us, that they had before. 
but to no greater degree than a bare seed is to the plant that will grow from it. Okay? Now, for believers, there is yet another magnificent part of the story. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, not all die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Yes, that is what we want. All those who have died in Christ will be raised in new glorious bodies. And those of us who are alive when he comes will be changed in that moment. And death will be swallowed up in victory. Anyone excited? (laughs) A little excited here? This is called the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. We who believe, who have a share in the first resurrection, are blessed and holy. We will experience a life that is more than life. A life with no possibility of death ever again. We will never experience that separation, that tearing known as death ever again. Not personally, not of anyone else. But there was that other part. Over such the second death has no power. There's a second death? A death for others who do not believe a death beyond death then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence earth and the sky fled away and no place was found for them and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There is a death beyond the grave. You can be judged by your own work or by the work of Christ. (laughs) Many will have a second eternal life through Jesus Christ. (sighs) But many a second death and eternal death when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. There will be, sadly, a separation after the separation of body and soul. 
for those who do not know God. This death is an eternal suffering, an eternal destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, there are many ways to understand that phrase. Some take it to mean separation from God. You, you may have often seen the translation away from the presence of the Lord. The away isn't there in the Greek. Uh, they just felt that's what it was meant, so they had that word. But I don't think that's what he means here. The Bible is clear that this second death is a separation, separation from the grace of God, certainly separation of those who believe the righteous from those who do not. But I think when we look at the total context that Jesus comes in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on the grossly disobedient evil humans we might find that the pain that they will eternally suffer has the same source as the purifying fire that we will so enjoy for all eternity. Think of it this way. Gold never looks better than when it's glowing in the heat of the fire. If you've ever watched it, it, it looks almost alive. You've got to sometimes see, see the melt gold. It's absolutely amazing. But the dross? The dross looks even more tortured <laughs> as the blaze intensifies. That which is pure nearly dances in the blaze. It is positively incandescent. It glows. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Life. Glowing forever in the light of our Lord. And completely at the cost of God, by the way. But, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. No one breathing today has to suffer the second death. No one. This is a warning. <laughs> it's a bridge-out sign. Don't keep going that way. Has anyone here... Don't raise your hand. Has anyone here ever told a lie? <laughs> Can we honestly say that we have never been cowardly or faithless? Maybe those other things we haven't done. Maybe we can get away with some of that anyway. <laughs> okay, maybe not very much. Don't forget the important truth that there is one man, Jesus, who will give us his righteousness where we had none. Don't forget that truth. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me in that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, 
we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. When will this be realized? How much longer? Lord, how much longer? The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This earth all that we know as life will go away. Peter says, think about that as you consider how to live this life. For we will be changed. There is a new heaven and a new earth in which life, perfect righteousness, lives. And all who believe Get to live there. Please, everybody, join us. (laughs) The Apostle John was given a vision of that future. A vision where life flows like a pure river from God, what Jesus called the springs of living water. Well, let's end by burning a part of that vision into our souls. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever what is life what is death but a more important question presents itself What is eternal life? Father, we thank you. It's beyond our ability to thank you. Eternal life? Life, real life, with no possibility of death, no separation, no pain, no no sickness, no tears, nothing but good. The absolute rightness You will make us absolutely right so that we can live with you. See your face. (laughs) Oh Lord, to see your face. There are those who haven't heard the message or haven't listened to the message. 
Some of those are close to us. Our family. Our friends. Some people that we work with. Some people we will see today. And when we look at them we know. They are not ready for eternal life. Somehow bring to our hearts, Lord, a way to show them, to tell them whatever it takes to let them know there is life and all they have to do is accept it. I almost said they just have to reach out. They don't even have to do that. They just have to accept the gift of your son. In fact, they really just have to not reject it. (laughs) Lord, if we can be a part of showing them eternal life, give us a way to do it. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.